Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Back to Jimmy on the right side. Elevates, fires a three at the end of the shot clock and knocked it down right in Tatum's face. Struce, three ball, right wing. I love the juice. The juice from Struce. Everybody get loose. Down to Jimmy. Precious only one who can stop him, and he can't do it. 41 points for Jimmy Butler. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Five o'clock hour, Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 570-9000 is the number here. We're in the beautiful BBBBBBBC, the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Willie Ramirez is the company today. Big five on the way. Lots of NFL in the middle of the hour and Willie's favorite topic golf, but golf talk with Phil Mickelson who has scurried away from the spotlight. Won't even defend his freaking title at the PGA that's on the way, but first big five battle born injury lawyers presents the big five at five number five. All right, Willie, you're all over the uh, aces beat. They're out to a four and one start last night. Not a great first half, but they stormed out in the third quarter. Won that what? 30 to 12. They win going away 86 to 74. They're now four and one. And, and I know you were very fired up for a, a cool local story because Sam Thomas, and we'll tell you a little more about Sam here in a second, but Willie got a one-on-one with her and started off the conversation just talking about the experience getting to play back in her hometown in Las Vegas. She's part of the Phoenix Mercury. Obviously, when the Aces first came here, getting to some of their early games and just seeing them build the program up and then coming here and knowing that, well, they're the opponent now. <laughs> Watch them during my time here, but now they're the opponent. So, But it was nice to step out on the court, obviously. And then, of course, during the Pac-12 tournament, it's kind of the same feel. I had a chance to talk to your dad. And I asked him, I said, <laughs> he talked so much of what you shared with him. Mm-hmm. In your words, just what it's been like to... To play alongside and learn from her. Yeah, I mean, she's amazing. She's obviously the GOAT. Um, it's just nice because she's been in the league for so long, so she kind of knows every feeling that you're going through. She's been through it all, so, you know, if I'm nervous before a game or something like that, she'll just calm me down, tell me what to do, you know. She's like, you you belong here. Um, just do your job and you'll be fine. You have a long career in this league if you do that, so just listening to her is awesome. Your pedigree runs deep between from Karen to <laughs> then Adia and now here, mm-hmm. but your IQ allows you to know that you're never going to stop learning. Mm-hmm. What have you learned that you didn't realize aside from the pace of the game? Yeah, um, I would just say honestly the confidence. I think um, coming out of college, I definitely wanted to try to go to the WNBA, but you know, I never really. It's hard to go there. There's only 144, 144 spots. Some people don't even keep 12. So just having that in the back of your head and then knowing so many people who get drafted don't make the team, unfortunately. And so when I was called up, I was just like, I'm just going to make the most opportunity of this. And then I ended up making the team. So just just kind of built the confidence that I've worked so hard my whole life to do the little things. You know, I wasn't the leading scorer every game, but I was doing the little things that mattered. And just to show that it works here and got me on this team, I believe, is what's nice. Let's go back to draft day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're obviously watching everything and then mm-hmm. you don't get drafted, but being signed by a region, I would say, mm-hmm. how much did it just kind of put a band-aid on not getting drafted? But- yeah, I mean, it's like the cherry on top. It's like the perfect story, just knowing it's like right in the middle. I have Tucson right there, which is like my second home. And then, of course, Vegas, where I'm from. So it was just nice. I think this was the perfect team. Beautiful facilities. We share it with the Suns, so we get everything that they do. So just the equality there and surrounded by great people and great players. 
hometown hero, Sam Thomas, Centennial, then on to Arizona, and now signing with the Phoenix Mercury. Gets a chance to come home, play a game at Mick Ultra Arena. Has another game coming up. And uh, good story. Good interview. Yeah, she's, you know, she has always been, um, I mean, it could be the most intense game. You're going to see a smile on this girl's face. And it's just such a, a, a warming smile because you feel the warmth of her fan base, especially from Tucson. Um, the the finale right after Arizona beat UNLV, their next game against North Carolina. You remember they actually hosted that region that that round. Um, but the 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 outpouring of emotion from the fans because they love Sam Thomas and she sort of just embedded herself in that community, going out and, and actually just the youth that look up to her and and the 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 senior citizens, the boosters, everybody just loves Sam Thomas. I mean the flowers, the bouquets. So uh, it was a great story in the fact that Phoenix picked her up. She 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 worked her ass off, and because of her defensive skills and defensive the way that she's as she mentioned, she wasn't always a leading scorer, but it's her work ethic. Um, and the coach last night, you know, uh, Nygaard, she had talked a little bit about that for me, and and said what she's meant, you know, to just a, ple- a pleasure to be around, and what she brings to the the locker room. In in in, she doesn't. You could tell she's still learning, but. She doesn't act or walk the the walk of a rookie. You uh you for a while, especially during uh, COVID, were doing a hometown hero series. I was. I was. So doing, what are you doing with that? Well, it was it was more so on different themes every single month. Um, you know, whatever the theme may be, I'd always have a local tie in. There'd be a national. I'd sort of use my media credential, if you will, um, to get a national uh, person, celebrity, pro sports athlete, but there'd always be a local tie, and then I would write about it, and we did some old Vegas stuff. Um, With everything kicking in last year, really just full-blown, and my first year doing full-blown Raider stuff, it blindsided me, so I haven't done anything on my personal site, WGRamirez.com, but I'm bringing that back, where now I will do once a month, it'll be sort of like, hey, you may heard of this local, you may not know this local, but you should know this local. And I'm going to try to catch up with a lot of ath- former athletes, and it may be outside the, the sports theme too. So when I bring it back, there'll be three stories to just, just jump right in. Sam Thomas, I'm hoping to catch up with Ray Burrell, who played with for Liberty, actually against Centennial in a championship game. She got picked up by the Los Angeles Sparks. She was drafted ninth overall. And Bryson Stott, who of course is – had now had two stints with the Phillies. Just had an actually pretty good series against the Dodgers. So I'll do that, and then from there, that'll be in June, and then from there every month I'll do something from wherever I may be, whether it's the Summer League or the Raiders or whatever it may be. Number four. You know, the story within the game on the Mercury side, uh, I've talked often about, you know, what a hothead and uh, sore loser at times Diana Taurasi can be. She's a great player, but, you know, she broke a door uh, during the WNBA Finals last year, then wouldn't speak to the media afterwards. Chicago Sky brings the broken door to their title celebration, their parade. And then last night we're watching, and all of a sudden, Skylar Diggins, like, I I don't know how many times – You've been, you know, you can you can be a guy who argues or, you know, you might, might want to you know get in someone's face. It was fascinating. Something happened with Tarasi and Skylar Diggins, and Diggins is on the bench. He's got another player in between him, and Diggins starts, like, taking some heavy breaths, and I'm like, here we go. Yeah. And she got up, and she started yelling above Tarasi, and then Tarasi got up and stood in her face. And, you know, we played a cut from the coach earlier who said, well, you know, the, they're playing with passion, which I, I – when she was asked about it, I also understand – Female coaches are going to – they can quickly run to like, hey, it's not a big deal. This happens in men's sports, right? But do we have any clue what's actually going on here with the Mercury? There's got to be a pretty deep background. or it, That can't just be just a random explosion where 
you know, someone's ready to punch out Tarasi. I I really don't know um, a lot because, admittedly, where I was sitting, you were is, shielded, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I was. I was more toward the the aces bench, and and I'm glued into you know, especially during breaks, I'm glued into typing notes or do whatever what I'm doing. I'm focused on on my laptop and trying to you know play catch up here or there. So I'm not. It, it had to have taken place in the second half when the aces sort of took control because you know the the crowd was getting into it. They were the turnover situation. The the aces were committing turnovers early on. And and Becky Hammond even made note of it that you know she didn't like the fact that even what what they finished with, but the sun uh, the the Suns the Mercury started playing sloppy basketball. So I have to imagine that Tarasi was probably exercising her senior authority on the team. Skylar Diggins didn't didn't take a liking to it because that's exactly what it looked like as if Tarasi was calling her out, and Skylar wasn't going to stand for it, and she had something to say. And uh, and it got heated, and I believe there were two, you know, heated exchanges. Yep. Um, a local podcast, uh, you know, per Donetta, I think she's the one who actually caught the video because I saw I saw the story in the New York Post, and they used her Twitter that they embedded in the story in her yeah. video. So um, well, we'll see where it goes from here, and if yes. there's an issue moving forward, the coach kind of downplayed it, uh, but we'll see if the the Mercury are kind of you know getting a little frayed and coming unraveled. Stay home. Oh. Number three. Finish up. Oh, I was going to say, uh, Aces play at home tomorrow, but the the Mercury, why do I keep saying the Suns? The Mercury go home to play tomorrow, but then they're back here back Saturday here, for yeah. a noon game. So, NBA, we find out about injuries and COVID issues with the Celtics, right? They wind up losing to Miami. Now the great question is, when are these guys coming back? And uh, Monica McNutt, one of the – WNBA and NBA insiders or ESPN was talking about the situation, the personnel situation right now with the Celtics. I think worst case scenario for Horford is game four. He's got to go through the NBA protocols, which is the viral load number or produce a negative test. And if not, like that's a legit five days. And so y'all do the math. Like that's tough. Smart. We heard that they were hopeful that he might be in a mix for game two, but he's got to be able to make basketball plays. Yesterday, Ime said he was struggling to make basketball moves with that foot injury. Doesn't sound good. It doesn't when you're talking about a pair of teams that sort of have they proved last night we saw them go over the poster total we talked about this off the air i love the total i love game ones especially at this round going over and game twos going under because you're always going to see them sort of exercise their offensive ability challenging the defense and then you see the adjustments um but we're talking about two teams that have sort of buttered their bread with defensive efforts and physicality and if miami can dominate boston with its defensive abilities, as we saw them in the second half do last night. Um, now, this could be a wire-to-wire game for for Miami if they don't have, you know, especially if they're missing one of their defensive guys in Marcus Smart. Horford's going to be out, as you heard McNutt say. Um, they really, I before this game started, or before Horford, the announcement was made about Horford yesterday, I actually, I liked Boston plus the points. I thought that they could get by without Smart. They could get this done. But without the both of them I in Miami, and the way that Miami closed that game, I think the Celtics have a difficult time. doesn't mean that I don't think they have a difficult time in the series. They just, they're, they're just going to have an uphill climb. 
number two. Yeah, we'll get to the Golden State game. Again, it's on ESPN, Las Vegas, Golden State, and Dallas. We'll get to that uh, after the Big Five in the middle of the hour. So some of the predictions are coming out for the Raiders, and, you know, one of the great predictors, because you can react to it with your own money, is what the sports books post. And a lot of Raiders fans are very upset. Fourth in the pecking order, the Raiders are. Uh, they are plus 550, and I'm talking fourth in the AFC West. Chiefs plus 170, Chargers plus 225, Broncos to win it plus 260. Raiders are plus 550. Uh, FPI rankings, we talked about this yesterday, but ESPN has Raiders as the 14th best team in the National Football League. And then there's the difference on picking the record, right? Uh, I saw that uh, Nick Wright, football expert from Fox Sports, picked the Raiders to go 6-11. and 11. Highly respected Raider Nation Radio 920 analyst from SI, Hondo Carpenter, has the Raiders going 12-5. and five. I haven't done my prognostications and breaking down the actual schedule. It's funny because... Could they be a 12-win team and win the division? Then plus 550 is a hell of a bet. It, and the over is easy. Over wins, eight and a half, nine. Come on. Let's go. I'm leaning all, on the let's over. All, let's all follow Hondo. I'm leaning on the over a little bit, but I, I will break down this schedule at some point and look at it, you know, deep. Um, I think with the with the with the division odds that you spoke of, the the surprise is just the distance between it's the closeness of the Chiefs, Chargers, Broncos, and then the Raiders are so far behind. And I don't buy into that. I don't think that they're that far behind the Broncos, and I don't even know if they're behind the Broncos. And you know what? I am not sold on the Chiefs. I've been saying what? this in that since the Raiders been here, that's one thing that we've talked about is that you're playing to beat the Chiefs. You're building your defense to beat the Chiefs. Year after year, these teams are making adjustments to the roster in order to catch the Chiefs. This could be the year. The Chargers are the ones that made the most impressive offseason moves. Now, I'm not saying the Chiefs, out of respect, you're going to make them the favorite, but I'm not sold that they're that much of a lock that they're going to win the AFC West. I don't think that the Raiders are the fourth worst, uh, the fourth team in the division. I think that they can challenge the Chargers for the second, but I think that the Broncos have the biggest uphill climb. I'm not sold just because they got Russell Wilson. There's a lot. There's other positions that need to prove themselves on that team. I'm not saying I'm doing this bet, but I'm throwing it out as a floater. Oh boy! If I took the Chiefs. Minus two and a half wins over the Raiders this coming season. Would you take the Raiders plus the two and a half? Hmm. Wow. That is interesting. I'll tell you what. I am the company Friday. I will have an – let's put this <laughs> – I, I want to break down and look at the schedule. Put it so, in the notes. Put it in the rundown, baby. We are going to revisit this one. Two and a half. I, we're going to – you know what? If we differ, it'll be our next. It'll uh-huh. be our. It'll be our. It'll be well. It can't be our next dinner event yeah. because we got. That's a lot of months in between. We got to have something in between there. But we'll definitely have. Uh, if there will be something. We know that. Yeah, on no, show, there'll be, be yeah, something. Yeah. There'll be some beef, some argument <laughs> that'll make a bet. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Raider Nation Radio nine twenty host Hondo, he would take that bet, wouldn't he? Oh, and Hart. twelve and five. Oh, sure. You can bet him that they're not going to win the Super Bowl. He'd say he'd bet it. He's what are you trying over. to say? I'm trying to say very that. aggressive on the Raiders. Very bullish. He he is not afraid to say that he is a supporter. He's not. He'll, he's probably not a fan media guy, but he's very supportive of his Raiders. Number one, Rangers 
as uh, some in the New Jersey, New York area would call them. New York Rangers, one nothing, going into the second. It's underway. Gerard Gallant is the coach. Uh, you pushed McCrimmon pretty hard on Monday, the GM. You enjoyed uh, Of the Golden Knights. Well, I just think it's an impossible question to answer, and that's how he answered it. I mean, is he really going to go on the record? And So your question was, hey, do you regret firing Gerard Gallant? Because, you know, you guys, have, you're now going on your third coach, and, you know, he wouldn't answer, and he's, he was kind of like, I have an answer, but I'm not going to give it to you. And I think his answer is, he's yeah, he's, he's fine that he fired him, that they fired him, George McPhee and, and Kelly McCrimmon. I... One, I wonder how many VGK fans are really paying attention to the playoffs right now. And two, how many are rooting for Gerard Glant to win the Stanley Cup? I think that there's a lot, yeah. to be honest with you. And I, I could tell you that once the Golden Knights are out. Now, here's the thing. I have to say this. This is a disclaimer. This, I don't care how, who believes me or not because it doesn't really matter. But I was born in New York. I was born in Manhattan. I don't believe you. Okay. Well, of course not. But <laughs> well, I Don't set it up that way. I personally... I was always a Rangers fan. I got Rangers gear at the house. So it's natural for me to cheer for them. You know, when you're when you're covering, I'm not a Golden Knights fan. I'm, I'm a Golden Knights beat writer. I'm actually an NHL beat writer because if the Golden Knights lose, guess who I'm covering for the Associated Press? I'm going to the winning team's locker room to or press room now. Now, that being said, I can tell you going into this postseason that I was pulling hard, hard for a Minnesota Wild New York Rangers Stanley Cup final. Absolutely needed that. That would have been sick. That would have been fantastic. But now, sure. Why not? Why not pull for Gallant and Ryan Reeves? Why not pull for guys that you were covering and 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 enjoy it? There's no reason why you cannot take the journalist hat off. You're not I'm not writing about it. I'm not covering it. The only thing that I'll be covering in the next couple of weeks is when the Golden Knights hire a coach. I can most certainly put my fan hat on. <clears throat> like I said, I've always been a Rangers fan. Originally from New York. Raised out here, but that was my team. Uncle Paul and I did some investing in the Rangers in the 90s. The year that uh, Messier went up, by the way. Investing? What does that mean? You got Messier sweater? No, we had a future play on it. Oh, okay. I thought, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were saying Uncle Paul had so much money, he's buying like a 2% stake of the freaking no, New York no, Rangers. No, you know that he was an original investor in the Ottawa Senators, though. Is that right? Yeah, well, because he's Ottawa's original hometown boy. Okay. So he, he was an original, uh, he was an NHL owner at one point in time. But no, we bet on that. We, we played the Rangers back in the, with the year that they won it. We had them. 94? The, yeah, we had them winning nice. the Eastern Conference. Okay. But anyway. That's a good bet. So, yeah. All right, so we made it clear. You're rooting for Gallant. I think a lot of EGK fans are rooting for uh, Turk. To win the Stanley Cup. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Continuing on a Wednesday, Cofield and Company. Willie's here as the company. So we're tracking some hockey. We're leading up to Warriors and Mavs. Six o'clock start. I'm totally fired up for the series. I'm trying to think. There might be an obvious one. 
Is there a team I like to root against more than the Warriors in all the sports? Because uh, Dr. Dre, Draymond Green, master of kinesiology, drives me freaking nuts. Steph Curry is awesome, but the arrogance is out of control. Their fans are annoying. I, I would, the, my first guess would be the Patriots. Well, here's the problem: the my the sizzle on my NFL follow is kind of, you know, it's diminished a lot over the years because the Jets are just hopeless and not competitive. Hmm. I guess there's some there's some college teams that I still can't stand, but the Warrior, Warriors are my top five. I love to root against them. I recognize their greatness, um, but I'm all about. I would, I'd love to see them not have an answer for Luca. Because uh, it ain't Steph Curry. If if Steph Curry gets stuck on Luca for more than like five minutes a game, it's destruction. Um, and Draymond Green is too big to cover him. So I think the obvious answer is Jordan Poole's too, Jordan Poole's too small. I think the obvious answer is Andrew Wiggins, who's a guy who actually was covering you know point guards at different times of the season. So I think they can match up with him. But you know what? I, you know what I like this. I guess this sort of goes back to a bunch of. Intense series, the Mavs and the Warriors. Intense series in the 90s and the 80s. You've got arrogance v. arrogance. And Luka's been great his whole career. But I thought there was a coming out moment in the middle of this last series. I'm trying to think who didn't. Oh, Devin Booker tried to just like punk him in the middle of the game. And the Warriors do this crap too. Where I'm trying to think who Jordan Poole kept doing it to. You know, there, there's something real sneaky about the Warriors, right? Where... I mean, I think they, I think they fell hard with intent, you know. And of course, when they get popped, and they're like, "Oh, you know, Draymond, oh, I can't, can't believe they're cheering, they're cheering that I got injured." Like you guys do that to people all the time. You foul hard as hell, but uh, it was Jordan Poole with one of someone tried to take a shot after you know the whistle was blown, and Jordan Poole comes out and he's trying to swat it, trying to, and the the, the other person was like, "Dude, enough!" All right, and it was a bigger player, and Devin Booker tried to do that to Luca, and. You know, grab the ball from at a timeout. Luke yeah, is yeah, backing yeah. up, and he's like, "All right, okay, yeah, yeah. all right." And that was like, I'm not saying that was like the moment, but it was like another step where it's like, "You want to do this, man? Like, I'm friggin' good, well, I'm and I go and I will I will torch you." So I, that's the other great thing the 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 edge in this series with both sides having guys who are unbelievable and cocky and like, there's no doubt in my mind, Luca is going to get caught in some tie up in the lane on a drive where. You know, Draymond gets in a mix with them. It's this is going to be a cool series. It is, but I'm going to tell you where Dallas gained its edge in this entire postseason. It wasn't just Luca gaining edge; it was the team, and that's when Luca wasn't in the game, and everybody thought the Jazz has him by the jugular mm-hmm. because he's not playing. And Dallas stepped up and said, "Wait a minute! Huh? It's not just yes, he's the star, uh-huh. but it's not just Luca." And I think because, you know, and I'm writing sports betting analysis throughout this these playoffs, and we're, you know, at times writing, well, they depend all on Luka. They can't always depend on Luka. They get, well, guess what? They haven't, and, they're get, and, and guess what? It, they're getting it done. And that's, I think, when they gain their edge and their confidence in proving that their balance and their depth beyond him, and now that he's in and dominating and the numbers he's putting up, and yet – they're still getting good balance down the down the road, but yeah, I mean, when when I agree, I'm waiting for that tie up and and the, where there's going to be a ball grab and there's going to be elbows swung back and forth, you know, and something's going to happen. By the way, I just came up with the answer for another T 
team or person in my top five is rooting against them. Warriors are in there. I forgot all about golf and Phil, and he ain't playing this weekend. My God, I wish he was. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Phil Mickelson has been a legend of our game for the last 30 years, and I certainly don't think he should be shut out of the game. You know, he said some bad things and offended some people, but I don't think that that makes it right to completely shut him out of the game of golf. I mean, he's, I think he'll be welcome back, and I think a lot of players will be happy to see him back, but that'll all be in his own time and, and wherever he decides to show up again. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Well, that was very much the high road from Rory McElroy, who annihilated Mickelson when he first made his comments about the uh, Saudis and the Saudi tour back a few months ago. Uh, ever since being shamed and beat up and criticized and mocked, Phil has run from the game of golf. Now, there are people out there who are like, maybe he's suspended. I don't know. The PGA is weird. Uh, they don't promote stuff like that. I, I actually, I just think it, I mean, you know, the funny thing is before the break, we were just talking about um, people who get you fired up, teams who get you fired up. And listen, we're both 50 plus and may, there's a small part of me every once in a while is like, well, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be so like into sports or rooting against guys and rooting for certain teams. And then I'm like, why would we do this if we, don't still do that like we used to do years ago. Right. That's what sports in, in a lot of ways is. That's the draw is that you have teams you like, athletes you like, you know, vice versa. You don't like, you dislike, you root against, you root for. And Phil Mickelson is one of those lightning rods. I've never been a Phil guy. And a lot of it comes from the Vegas stories about him being a freaking cheap-ass schnook. And now we fun, we're finding out more and more and more about the guy and all the stuff from years ago, Billy Walters and the the freaking insider trading. And then, um, just how petty he can be. You know, he had a, a case, was it last year or two years ago, where he got all mad at some Detroit paper, and then he was he's going to pull out of a Detroit golf event. Um, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, but as it turns out here, um, he's kind of being a pansy. Unless this is a PGA-mandated thing, dude, show up and play. You're going to have to take the heat at some point, and that, that's from the media. It's from some fans, and especially from other players. Let's go, man. Own up to it. And start playing again. What are you doing? Where are you? If this is a, if it is a silent, sort of a silent suspension, and then he's doing it on his own, it's sort of reminiscent of the Michael Jordan thing, right? Where he, did he disappear for two years because he really wanted to pursue baseball? Or did David Stern said, hey, we're not going to publicly shame you or our league, but here's what needs to be done. I mean, I mean all the people around Stern say it's completely phony. We also know Stern was very conniving and could be underhanded. So that it would seem like a good plan if he was going to embarrass the game with some big gambling scandal. You know, let it go away. He goes away for a couple of years. Uh, but Phil missing out on this is it's starting to get stupid. Um, but here's the thing. We just had some stories come out in the last couple of weeks that are more embarrassing for him. Right. Um, I mean – we had Bob Harrigan, who's a longtime golf writer, and he had a story. And he, you know, he's got a book out now on Phil and Tiger. And he had a story where the claims are that Phil, over the years, has lost forty million dollars gambling. Which, which you and I have heard these stories, right? We, we've heard. Well, I mean, that, we've heard different numbers. We've just always that leads, heard that. That leads to the whole thing with with Billy Walters and the Feds. And listen, when you're a loser like that, 
and I don't mean he's a loser in golf, but when you when you are a degenerate gambling loser, right? Like another guy we know. Sorry, no one wants to face reality. I don't care that he's 100 years old, but there's reasons that Pete Rose did what he did. You got a sickness, man. You and, you, and then you're down, and then you start chasing, and then you start acting like a horse's ass, and then you lose your moral compass if you had one. And I still think that's exactly what happened with Phil and all that insider trading stuff. And, yeah, I, I believe that he has probably lost tens of millions of dollars gambling. I mean, we just saw a story come out the other day. Gary McCord was talking about Phil betting during events. Sure. Gary McCord's on the course, and they're doing kind of silent betting on putts, which, by the way, I know gambling has been embraced. Right? And everyone, every sport's got four partner books. But we just had Calvin Ridley suspended for a freaking year for betting on football and involving the Falcons when he was out for, you know, mental health reasons. And the NFL slammed him, again, for a year. Do you think the PGA is going to look into Gary McCord's stories? And it was only, it's, it's supposedly it was only 20 bucks. You know, they're throwing 20 bucks on putts during events. Should the PGA look into it and go, my God. I mean, between this guy trying to go turncoat on us, saying what he said about the Saudis, you know, let's, you know, well, mistakes happen, right? right? Bigger story here. We got to take down the PGA. And then you throw in this freaking stupid betting story now. Should the if he's not suspended already, should the PGA be like, you know what, bro? Well, you what, have, what are you what are you going to learn, bro? You have all these other stories, all these other leagues. I mean, earlier we talked about with Justin, right? We talked about a college letting a NHL team use its arena, but there's a clause that there's a morale clause that if it defaces in any way, shape, or fa- for, uh, any way, shape, or form. Isn't Phil Mickelson's actions throughout, which I have been saying, you have been saying, we have been talking about for until we're blue in the face, especially on the late night podcast. That was one of my favorite ones. Um, is that <laughs> I got scared? That was a, that was a mad Willie. Is real life came through there? It was that was after you know what that was after dinner with Vic Tafer and Adam Hill and a couple of glasses of wine down at an old school Italian. Those are the best side. podcasts. Uh, but. Just in general, the things that he's caught up in, it's, it's you know, you want, hey, there's an image that you're supposed to uphold if you are a PJ, especially golf, right? This, this country club sport, you're supposed to portray an image as a, as a professional golfer, and yet he's not. And I want to know why the PGA is so afraid of him and, and sort of slamming the door on – one of the faces of golf. Yeah, McCord said uh, in a story with the Times of London, when I was in the TV tower, every time Phil got to my hole, Bones, his caddy, would look up at me, and I would flash the odds. McCord said if Phil had a 15-footer, I'd flash three fingers. meant three to one. If he had a 60-footer, well... Then I'd set the odds at two to one on the two putt. Now again, do I care? Not really. But when we start talking integrity, and again, is the guy the guy's he's being incentivized to make money by making putts, so he's not throwing his game. But then the flip side of it is, I don't know what the guy would do if he's you know kind of down and out. 
he's down $40 million gambling. Well, and there's one. And, that, and, that's, and that's always the great fear with athletes. If they get in the soup and they're in trouble, do they start losing track of what they're supposed to be doing? Which, first and foremost, is win and compete at the highest level. So, but I, your whole point on this is something I talked about for years in golf that we know there are, there have been creeps and crumbs and womanizers, and golf has always tried to high, you know, hold itself at the highest level, highest standard, gentleman's game, you know, and then you had that horse's ass uh, head at Augusta, you know, when Ma- uh, Magic, when uh, Tiger was coming back from all the womanizing stuff and he's sitting there, you know, making a big speech, chastising Tiger for his womanizing, and you're like, these, these sons of. I mean, are you kidding me with these people? The freaking cojones to criticize others? And then Phil's walking around acting the way he does. And and listen, I, I'm, that, that I'm not rooting for. I'm not, I'm not rooting for a guy to lose $40 million gambling. Well, and one, there's one story that they, they tried to estimate that how much he made. And if he was making roughly $40 million annually after paying, like, after regular expenses, right? The article, it says... He had to cover plane and mansions and an agent and the caddy and pilots and a chef and a personal trainer and swing coaches and other things. He's he's he he's probably left. What is he left with? And if you have forty million dollars in gambling debt, because that's not everything I just read. That's not part of that. So are you ahead? Are you down? Are you owing bookies or whoever it is that you're playing with? A Nassau on this hole, a bet. I mean, give me a guess. Do you think he was one of these guys who paid up in timely fashion, too? No, no. I th- <laughs> I, I think that he just he walks because right? he, he just he says, you know, I got you, you know, I'll take yeah. care of it, and he thinks it's because who he is. You know, it's just like the thing with the, with the insider trading, and and they come to him and question him, and he says, okay, I'll just give everything. I, I I'll just give everything back. And he fe- he feels like he can just yeah. he that he's untouchable. Well, he got away with it there. He, what what was the restitution like? Eight hundred ninety five thousand dollars. Whatever. And he really didn't get a penalty. Others got penalties. And he got to play. And he got to go right back on the tour by doing what he did. Didn't he admit that he that he committed a federal crime? But he got to play on the tour. Yeah. <laughs> Mute the mics. Willie just walked away. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So Gerard Galan and the Rangers going to the third. Game one of the series. Uh, they were plus 150 coming into the game. They're up one nothing. Up one nothing. All right, ready to Igor Shosturkin, who pretty much everyone thinks has the Vesna locked up. He should. Um, looks like he's uh, on his way to possibly pitching a shutout. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Baseball today: the Dodgers win again at minus three hundred four. They won five to three against Zona. You know, I had looked at the Yankees, but I was like, eh, let me see what the run line looks like. I'm not a big run line player. And then I was tracking back the Yankees during this recent streak. They've been on fire. The funny thing is, with all their dominance, again, they're 27-9. and nine. What a freaking start. Uh, with all their dominance, I think they were 7-8 and eight against the run line the last 15 games. They had a lot of one-run wins. Do you think this will keep up? Not at this clip. And my question here is, 
because clearly their pitching's been really good. Like the guy Nestor Cortez has been outrageous. The key for the Yankees is, yeah, if you get 145 or more games from both Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton, you can be a monster of a team. But it's their health that's been so inconsistent over the years, and both of them are mashing the friggin' ball. And by the way, good timing by Aaron Judge, right? Because the Yankees are like, we're going to wait on a long-term deal. So if he stays healthy and he goes out and has a season he's on pace to have here, like 45 or 50 home runs, he's going to get a payday there or somewhere. But my whole point is, I, I think the Yankees have a good team. But keep in mind, history suggests that these one of these guys or both is going to go down for like 30 games, right. and then what happens? But right now it's all – it's all sweet because they're crushing the ball. Well, the key for them is is you know is the division games, and while everybody's healthy, it's so they can distance themselves. Obviously, so when somebody goes down, or if they lose someone out of the rotation, they can absorb some of that, and hope, hopefully, for in their case, go 50-50 until someone comes back. Well, destroy. But if they can't, the other you know, key but- is to destroy the worst team in the division, like the gap between the Yankees and the Rays, and how they played against the Orioles made yeah. a big difference. You gotta you gotta maul the Orioles, and that's what I, they're playing right now. I think what we've learned over the years in baseball is that you know this is it's so early, and anything can happen in any given time. I mean, you get hot in late July, early August. It doesn't take well, but a thirty day run, especially with what's going on right now in the first thirty five games. We think they're playing with a different baseball. Yeah. So if Rob Manfred, you know, hits the button and goes, all right, you know, make the baseball the way it was the last couple of years, harden the thing up, then all of a sudden pitching changes. You got then you're gonna have certain hitters. Yep. You know, the launch angles, poor Joey Gallo. I mean, he's, he's hitting 190 with five homers and seven ribbies. And, you know, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. He may be one of the guys most affected by the mushy ball because guys who are freaking swinging with the launch angle trying to hit bombs, you know, obviously the, the ball's carrying uh, unlike it was the last couple of years. Yesterday I'm at PT and one of the guys, the kids that works there that, you know, he tends to the, 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 the stim machines, the ice and, and sort of Ricky Knapp, former pitcher. Till he tore his arm up, but uh, we were. He said, uh, "I said, so let's look at some props today, man. Who's gonna? Who is gonna? If there's anyone that's gonna hit a home run, who's gonna hit the home run today?" And so, within five minutes, I, I was looking at my phone, got off the ice, got ready to leave. I said, "Okay, I got it, I got it. He's been on a tear. I mean, look at the staff he's going to get, dude. They're at home. Rice Harper, Padres won three nothing. It's not easy to bet." Day to day, trust me. I like the Rangers. It's today. not. It's not an easy. I like the Rangers against Otani for the price. And the okay. Way the Texas been playing. They're down one nothing. Stick your hand in there, Dave. <laughs> uh, I thought this one was interesting. Aces are going to honor Bill Lambeer for his contributions to the franchise in the WNBA before Thursday's game against the Lynx. Okay, so I've been critical. You and I both have been critical. We've talked about it since last year's ousting the hands of Phoenix. Yeah. But this is deserved. For his contributions to the to the league itself, um, what he's brought, I mean, across the board. And it's, you know, it's Bill Lambert. And, and you know, I mean, there was a time, obviously, when, when they first got here. And, and you know, I think last year it just caught up with him. And I think over the last couple of – I mean, don't forget. I mean, this guy, he stood by his players and was right there at the forefront when Asia Wilson and Angel McCautry stood up and started the movement for Brianna Turner. And 
I mean, he he was right there and he credited them and let them lead the charge. He didn't, you know, he it was almost like they were coaching, and he was very supportive of them in that bubble and all the what those women had to do. So, you know, um, what he's done for for girls women's basketball, he deserves this. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Yeah, it's we. It's funny we were talking about um, you know teams we root against, players we root against, players we like. You know, that's what makes you know sports what it is the the passion, the interest in the game. And uh, Ari threw out a suggestion because I was looking for other, you know, teams and players I don't like that I root against. And he mentioned Reno. You know, with Reno, with football and basketball, I'm not saying I feel bad for him. But when, you know, your rival, you know, for Las Vegas, when your rival isn't winning at the level they were winning at, it loses a little bit of sizzle. And I saw something the other day that was that I thought, was, I, I mean, I guess it made sense. But I was like, man, times have changed. You know, there was a lot of bravado, and there always has been with the Reno football program. It's been pretty consistent. And, you know, last year they they smoked UNLV pretty good. They just outmanned them and kind of, you know, beat them up down the stretch. And their new coach, one of his first moves was to come in, and it was very important to him to change the sideline where Reno is on for the home games. I was like, okay, well, I mean, I guess that's pretty important. So recently they've been on the side – if you've ever been to that stadium, mm-hmm. they've got the press box. You know, it's a higher press box. Yep. They've been on that side. Well, they want to move like the old days used to play on the other side. A couple of reasons. One, it gets colder quicker on the shaded side. Sure. Like, okay. And the other one was, I hadn't even thought of this because I just, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not curious and sinister like this. I guess he was saying that, well, you know, you're beneath the press box and the other teams can steal your signs. I was like, wow, okay. Those are, these are some of the big changes. Right. Really? <laughs> yes. I mean, can't if that's the case, then you just sit somebody out in the. I mean, either way, binoculars and look across. If they're they're going to do that. I don't know. Was, and the the cold part, I'm like, I guess it's. I mean, I guess it's cold there. Now that part, that part, I understand from days well, out, gonna, at, out at at at, at uh, Silver Bowl, Sam Boyd. Yeah, Stadium, there can be the the that, hot. You're right. The hot side. Yeah. Whoop. Okay. You're right. You're right. It is smoking. You're right. And you, sideline reporter, right? How many times? I mean. It was, sunscreen. It, was, it was bacon on the, the yeah. uh, opposition side. Um, and Qualcomm is, well, was like that. It's gone now. Now they've got the new stadium in San Diego. Qualcomm was murder on the one side. Now, isn't, if, correct me if I'm wrong, based on where UNLV, because they were always on the side where the sun would be behind them and it'd be hitting the guests. Isn't UNLV now on the opposite side of the press box at Allegiant? They are. Yeah. Maybe the same reason. I guess I, I, I don't know. I don't think like a football well, coach well, and sign stealing. Certainly not weather related. Stick your hand in there, Dave. No, that's faux show. Um, real interesting. Just to close out on, you know, Drew Brees is out with NBC. Uh, I guess it's a kind of a mutual parting of the ways. I thought Dan Patrick gave a really interesting reason on this one. Uh, why Brees maybe didn't like his stint with NBC and what they were suggesting. Um, he was saying that uh, Brees maybe didn't have a whole lot of interest in being a studio guy and wanted to be at the games because that's kind of his thing you know when you leave the game you're all about being around all the players and going on the road and nbc you know you know a short trial was like you're just not that good at it so you're gonna have to be a studio guy sorry drew could be could be just you know not his thing not his stick you know and here's the other thing because uh because I, I i've come across a couple of times i'm like hey, it's it's one year that he got a chance you know guys it takes time to develop um the other thing is when these networks are paying you six and eight and ten and twelve million dollars guess what willie there ain't a warm-up year 
Like you're no. either good yeah. or there's going to be someone nipping at your heels. That's a lot of money. So you better be freaking good and you better take it seriously and you better work your ass off. And that's the other part of the growing jockocracy, right? These guys, all the athletes getting in, you're getting paid this much money. You better work at it. You better not take it for granted. This is work.